because we love gear we love tone we love to know the nuts and bolts of the sonic texture of the music that we listen to um our friends rigs the rigs that we've admired the tones that we've admired and frankly it just relieves our wives from having to listen to our countless hours of bullshit when we get together so um I'm James Taptinos. My co-host Dan Cav and I are excited to have this next guest on with us today. He's held down guitar and bass duties in bands from Every Time I Die, from Autumn to Ashes, Season of Risk, Damn Things, and my personal favorite is a band he did with a really good friend of ours called The Great Fire of 1666 with our buddy Luke Bodenstein. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, our friend Josh Newton. Howdy. Hey, bud. <laughs> good to have it's, you. It's good, to, it's, good be, it's good we could finally make this happen. Yeah, this was, uh, we, we, we had acts of God. We had, uh, <laughs> we had so many things. This thing got rescheduled three times, so we're really glad to have you with us. So, dude, the way these start off, you know, we've all heard the stories of the first time we heard a band that inspired us. But it's not just about the band. What we want to know is, what's the first time you saw an instrument that made you go, holy shit, I need to play that? It was probably Kiss. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so far, it's been Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. So that's good. I'm sure. I mean, I mean for, when you think about it, that's like our generation's Beatles. You know, I mean, in the sense of inspiring everyone that saw them to be like, well, I could start a band like if these fucking numb nuts can do this i can do this <laughs> um it's like the it, first time you heard punk too right <laughs> i mean completely you know that was because that was at the time you know when i was starting to try to play guitar i was listening to like metallica and stuff like that and I, at the time i couldn't play like that i mean i could imitate slayer's solos very easily <laughs> like their current solos um Cause I could just, I could move my fingers quickly, but I didn't, the, the, my fingers weren't going anywhere specific, but like getting into punk and hearing all that stuff, it actually even Metallica showing me bands like killing joke kind of made me realize that I could do this, you know? And I, I think hearing bleach by Nirvana was like, Oh, I can totally do that. <laughs> so, yeah. So which, which guitar made you go? I want to well, do that. Uh, I guess it was probably Paul Stanley's Iceman that I really thought was super kick-ass. And I finally first saw one in real life. The first time I saw Urge Overkill, he had one of those crazy, uh, like triple humbuck, like the triple coil humbucker, uh, Ibanez's that they were doing for a while, which you don't really see him very often. No. And he had, oh, yeah. he had an orange full stack, which was the first time I saw that in real life too. And I was like, God damn, I love gear. Um, <laughs> but the first guitar that I got that I finally felt like was a guitar I really wanted was I got a white BC Rich Warlock. Nice. And that like, is a where, like a Jersey series? Yeah, it was definitely an NJ, yes. Yeah. 
I mean, they, but it also was right-handed, so I had to play it upside down, but I didn't care. Because at the time, I was probably obsessed with Motley Crue, so it fit right into their aesthetic, you know. Oh, completely. I guess we all were at that point, like 83, right? We all completely. started Kiss in the 70s. Yeah. And by the time Shout at the Devil came out, like, that was it. I, I was sold. Yeah, that was like, I was like, I don't know if that's, if Vince Neil is a girl or whatever, but this is fucking awesome. <laughs> And I, it's funny because I was in like sixth or seventh grade and I got like the Trapper Keeper thing of the, the, the cover of that record. And everybody was like, what are you listening to? What, like, what is this shit? No, completely, man. Completely. I, cool. uh, so, yeah, I got it. I'm just going to interject because when this does go live and people are watching and commenting, uh, if I'm not mistaken, NG, NJ actually stands for Nagoya, Japan. Japanese really? manufacturer. Okay. Uh, I could be mistaken, but I believe oh, you know that's what? what the NG means. The I'm NJ. actually wrong. I had a rave. It wasn't even an NJ. It wasn't even that good. <laughs> I don't know where that thing was made, but I remember my best friend, I had it on a guitar stand and he like tripped on the cord and one of the points hit the ground and all the paint chipped <sighs> off one of the points. <laughs> nice. So that was probably my last PC Rich. No, it was not my last piece. That's a lie. Okay, never mind. What would you get after that? I got uh, an ST3 with a with an Ibanez Floyd on it, and it was turquoise, ugliest yes! guitar I've ever had in my life. But then a couple of years ago, I bought um, a lefty one of a uh, lefty gunslinger with one humbucker, a green one with one of the women painted on it. The um, I don't remember the artist's name. A vintage so, gunslinger or no, one of the modern it was, ones? It ended up being a modern one, and that whole thing on top was just a big decal. Right. So, so I felt kind of ripped off, so I, I sold it back to Guitar Center like immediately. <laughs> 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 but it was cool looking. Played like yeah, garbage. It's like a conquest, right? You had to have it, and then you're like, oh, I, now that I, it know, happened, I don't want it. I was literally like in a hotel room somewhere in Poland, jet lagged, and it was like 3 a.m., and I'm on guitarcenter.com seeing what I can find. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know we're talking to a real gear junkie. Yep. Yep. Amazing. <laughs> uh, that is, that is great. That's great. He's not looking. I'll edit it out. Go. Oh, so, <laughs> so you you know, your first guitar, you just said that, but what was the, uh, what was the first instrument you stepped up to? that was uh, more of a, a quality piece, something that uh, was a little more definitive, a little more solid, something that you were uh, looking at for a specific reason. Uh, well, <clears throat> my cousin got me, my cousin uh, made a lot of money quickly, illegally. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was New Bedford, Massachusetts in the early 80s. And uh, you, know, you can guess that it, maybe it was a drug. Uh, <laughs> so to diversify his funds, he got me a full Randall stack in snakeskin wow. and he found me, I don't know how he found this thing, but he found me a left-handed explorer. Wow. And I don't know, I don't know where that, I don't know how that thing showed up in New Bedford, but it did. It was a, it had a Kaler on it, which was not the coolest thing. It I wasn't totally, anger. yeah, it wasn't totally James Hetfield's, but, uh, yeah, that thing was awesome. 
and I had that up until we started Glaze Baby, actually. So I had that until the 90s. What, so was uh, that, what year was it? I think it was a late 80s. Okay. It wasn't one of the cool, like, weirdly painted ones with the stripes or anything, which now are totally, I wish I had. Um, it was just a regular white one, no pick guard, but this huge Kaler on it. Yeah, I remember they did, uh, they did those... I remember in the mid eighties, they did them. They were just like, they just came in like white and black, maybe yeah. like red. Uh, but yeah, with the Kalers. Which means I've never at this point, in my hand. it's like deep yellow. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's gotta be. I, I would love to know whatever happened to that thing. I don't even remember where I sold it or what I got for it. Probably like a Mustang. Cause I was pretty obsessed with Mustangs at the time. Not Nirvana, necessarily. Of course. A, completely. Yeah. And not necessarily, Great but choice. I found I found a bunch of lefty Mustangs in the early nineties. I had two natural ones. I had a black one. I had a lot of guitars over time. I mean, I've had a lot of guitars over time period, but even, even in the early nineties, I had too much gear, which makes no sense. Cause I had fucking zero money. So I don't know how that even happened. Uh, Tradesies, man. Yeah. There was a lot like- of that. How many times? Well, you know, tradesies or luxies, right? So tradesies, you you just pick up a whole bunch of shit and sooner or later you trade it and you trade it and you trade it until you have something really cool. Or at that point, you probably fell victim or were lucky enough like we were or like that fucking guy was. I'm pointing at Dan, um, where you had a bunch of friends who were getting signed right? They're getting signing bonuses or they're getting advances and they're mm-hmm. buying like the gear of their dreams and they're selling their old less dollars. They just got a new Charvel and we're getting rid of the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, yes. I get, I get to take advantage of that more in the amplifier world than guitar world, you know, nice. but, uh, yeah, I, there was definitely some money flowing around. It never really reached me, but the, the trickle down economics did. So it's always worked for us. It's always worked. Yep. For yep. us. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So do you, do you have anything from back in the day or have you turned over your collection like 30 times since then? Probably 40 times. Um, I don't, I'm not super sentimental with stuff like that. I, I mean, there's times when I wish I was, uh, I bought, uh, this one kills me. I bought, I hope I'm not like ruining another question, but I bought a 73 uh, super lead that was red, originally red um, for 400 bucks. And it was five days older than me. And I had to sell it. I got divorced and I had to sell it. And uh, I know the dude that still has it, but this, I can't even imagine what he would want for me to try to get it back. So is that your one that got away? No, there's plenty that cut away. Okay, good. So we're, we're going to go there then. So you didn't ruin the question. No. But it's funny because you're, yeah. you're into that, like, getting something your, around your birthday. Like, Dan, when, when he got married, his wife bought him a 72 gold top. Wow. And it's uh, you know, his birth year. That's, that's, that's what like, I was going to ask. That's yeah. funny. I was, I was totally going to ask if it was a deluxe. Yeah, it's a deluxe. And it's uh, it's with the original mini hums. It was, yeah, it's clean. No one that's ever. Rad. It's, it's, uh, it has some greening, but otherwise it's 100% original. Uh, that's a drag. That's what's such a drag about being left-handed is any time I see a deluxe, it's been destroyed. They never, yeah. Yeah. They never leave them. 
the uh the the 70 71 72s uh because of the production numbers at the time uh it's real difficult to find them with the original mini hums because cutting them up routing them for full-size humbuckers was a huge thing to do because yep. they did actually do some factory with full-size humbuckers really uh not a lot but there are some factories and people just decided when they could get them for cheap, they were just trying to turn them into like standards, you know, yep. double humbuckers. Yeah. Um, that's such a drag. Super difficult to find them. So the, the costs were, uh, they've been high for a while. They've been yeah. difficult to get. And, uh, I've seen them a couple times, but she, yeah, she tracked one down with my birth year. Damn. Yep. That's rad. Josh, did you ever meet John Kohler? I don't he used, think he used so. to hold the melody bar and then he was in, he was in X number five with Luke. Um, I may have, I'm really bad with names. Yeah, I may no have. Problem. So John has one of those seventies deluxes that somebody had routed with humbuckers and that guitar just screams. Yeah. Really good, really good, like routed deluxe. Every once in a while, I'll check reverb to see what what they're going for and what's around. Because I always want, I always wanted one because of Pete Townsend. Yeah. You know that's why I thought they were so cool. The number five guitar. Yep. Yeah, totally. Cool. So, um, so we got your first. We got your we got your first guitar. We got your first real guitar. Your first real stack. <laughs> I know you, and I know the pedal maniac that you are it's a, um, yeah so problem when did you like we all had our first metal zone at some point and then we all got the boss noise suppressor that we set like this to play snapcase songs right but like what was the first what, what were the first real pedals you started to fall in love with that gave you tone right not that just give you distortion um well i had a boss ds1 so when Glaze Baby started, like that was my first real band. And like we, we put out records and we toured and we did all that stuff. Um, and I was using the Mustang with whatever head didn't blow up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I blew uh, those... up a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, I got a Boss DS1 just because it was like the distortion pedal. Mm -hmm. And I was playing into a Marshall Silver Jubilee half stack. But I've never had, and then I got, I also had, of course, I got a small clone. Was it the small stone? Whatever Kirk Cobain played. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I maybe had a fuzzy sweater too. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you did. But people would go out of their way to tell me how awful my guitar sounded. <laughs> and it was kind of like, I almost did it on purpose just to be abrasive. Like everything about Glaze Baby was, including the name, was just into being as obnoxious and as confrontational as possible that was a very providence thing at the time was just to be very aloof and weird and obnoxious i don't know um but yeah those were the first two pedals that i really had and then of course i got a big moth because you have to you have to get a big moth especially if you've had a mud honey record you clearly have to but yep. and it's weird because i still have big moths and i don't i don't think i just i don't like them <laughs> like i still have a bunch of them not really that big of a fan until I learned, of course, now years later, if you put a boost after your big moth, it'll throw some mids back in there. Oh. And you, you can actually hear yourself in the band then. Cause of course that's one of those pedals where you sound great by yourself yeah. and they fucking go away when anybody else is in the room. 
Death, absolutely. Death. Or, or unless somebody's mixing Billy Corgan. Yeah. Like for some reason he always, you know, but that's because I, I think the strat, I think the strat kind of helped him cut through with that. I think it's a combo of that, but he's, then he's also playing into an 800. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think added the mids back in and kind of, cool. you know, I'm, I'm not sure what he did with his EQ, but I'm sure there was plenty of mids in there. And that's the only reason why I have a big muff is when I'm like, hmm, I got to go play some uh, Siamese Dream. Well, I mean, that record There's nothing is just, else to get you there. It's ridiculous. See, that, I mean, that's, that's the reason why I bought another big muff recently is because I, I saw his video for the op amp reissue and i was like well let me try it again <laughs> but i'm still not him so you know nice so so when did you so at what point in your career did you put together like your first real pedal board not until, like, I joined, not until i joined shiner oh, okay. so it wasn't until 98 or 99 where i decided because i was already super obsessed with like radiohead and everything johnny greenwood was doing um but then finally joining the band, a band that would give me an opportunity to sort of be that guy and try to find every color that I could from, from the pedals and all that stuff. Um, that was when I really started to go nuts with, with pedals was probably 99 or so. Nice. And what did that look like? Uh, it would have been a whammy, a couple of delays, um, a tremolo and at the time, I was running a Mesa Boogie, uh, whatever the rectifier preamp was. I had one of those. And mm -hmm. I also had the, pe the pedal version of that thing. So I was kind of going back and forth between those into an AC30 and Oof. an Orange 120. Wow. Uh, dude, my OR120, man. I guess that could, if we're going to, I'll save the Orange story for the, for the one. For that yeah. question? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Because that's that's a story. Yeah. All right. So uh, because you said Shiner and that was your Shiner setup, what guitar were you using with Shiner? What was your primary? When I first joined, the guitar player that had been there before me, uh, Joel Hamilton, who was also my bandmate in Glaze Baby, weirdly enough, um, he was playing a Les Paul. So I was like, I'm going to get a Les Paul. <laughs> and it was my first real les paul it was a 78 i went to music around somewhere in kansas mm -hmm. and i found it for like 700 bucks or something love it and it was like so it was tobacco burst with the gold hardware oh. and we started playing shows and i started kind of rocking out more than i thought i would and uh i was like shit this guitar is too nice for me to be destroying basically um because i noticed i was putting all kind of dings in it from just doing whatever and it was a nice guitar and i mean it was like i said it was already a 78 so it was already you know 21 years old at that point and i was like ah, i don't want to destroy this thing so i got a couple tellies of course johnny greenwood and uh i kind of became telly guy shortly thereafter i got a couple american-made tellies and uh a lefty GNL ASAT, which I could never play because the frets were enormous, ah. which was my first time dealing with really, really tall frets. And I was like, too sloppy to play with these things. <laughs> Let me step on that delay, delay pedal again. But that was a cool guitar, but I don't really like natural guitars. So that, that guitar didn't last very long. Very good. Dan? All right. So, kit. I 
you mentioned the orange, the 120. Yeah. I just have to go right there because now I, I need to okay. know. I, it's a head. I've never owned one. I've always wanted one. Uh, and now I got to know why. And uh, let's, see, let's hear the, the story about that one. Because so, I'm already... I was playing... When I joined Shiner, I was playing, I think, a 5150. <laughs> Which is funny because um, Alan from Shiner when Shiner started, he played a 5150. And then years later, we both discovered that we both had snakeskin Randalls. Uh, but it, it wasn't really giving me the, the, the sound that I wanted. Because, I mean, anybody who's played a 5150 knows you can't really clean it up. And if you do, it sounds super neutered and, like, it just doesn't do what it should do. The only person I've heard play on a 5150 besides Eddie Van Halen that made it sound good was Evan from Young Widows, which you would never think he would play a 5150. So strange. I mean, obviously it's a holdover from his other bands, but yeah. the only dude to make it sound like a musical amplifier to me besides Eddie Van Halen. Um, so Paul from China, we, he's, he's just as big of a gear nerd, if not more so than me. Um, he was one that got me into going to all the pawn shops in Kansas City and all that stuff. But he and his wife were babysitting for a friend from Oklahoma that had moved to Kansas city. And he was like, he called me up. He's like, Hey man, this dude's got an orange in his garage, not using it, not using it, not doing anything. Let me see if he wants to sell it. And I was like, sure. I like, I don't have any fucking money. Okay. Yeah. See if he wants to sell this vintage orange half stack. Calls me right back instantly. And he's like, he wants 200 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, he wants two hundred dollars. I was like, tell him I'll give him two fifty. Because I, I was like, I, I'm going straight to hell if I just give this dude two hundred bucks and don't say anything. Like, so then I go over there and he's like, yeah, you know, I tried it on the other voltages, but it just didn't sound good or whatever. And I was like, okay, this thing could be fucking toast for all I know. Um, and I. Uh, the guy who owned the studio that Paul worked at, he's fixes a lot of amps. And I brought it to him and he's like, no, this thing's great. And it was like, it didn't have any Tolex, but it was painted the exact same orange. Um, and it was fucking awesome. And I used it throughout my career of the first time of us being together. So I used it for like three or four years, except for like one tour. I, I wanted to be like bark market. So I tried touring with a, uh, a twin and an AC 30, but it just didn't have the thing behind me. So at the end of the first run, I was using power. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah. Dave Sardi's guitar sound. You can't really fuck with it at all or his engineering skills. Um, but by the end of Shiner, I was using an AC 30 with the orange 412, 212 in the head. So taking up a lot of space sonically. Awesome. And in the van. Oh yeah, definitely. We so, must have been just punishing that because Alan had a high watt half stack with an AC 30 and Paul had the Mesa boogie 400 plus with the 215 road ready cabinet. So it was loud like, as fuck and a, a complete assault. Yeah, it was, it wasn't great. It was loud. It was really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it, but it was really loud. Well, and then when Shiner broke up and I started doing fire of 1666, when we played shows, I would use that red 73 Marshall 
with a super lead reissue and to and it was just like i didn't even write lyrics because i didn't have to because we were so fucking loud that i just as long as i did because i became a singer and as long as i did some sort of melody in the mic it was like fine i'm not i don't even have to write fucking lyrics we're just so loud and punishing so that was awesome so um so how to get away uh i when the band ended i was like fuck it i don't want any of this stuff and i sold everything no shit yeah i sold i I sold the head to a friend and a band called shotzi from texas that we toured with and the cabinet is still kicking around kansas city i've seen it a couple times and uh yeah i don't even know what happened to the ac30 but those were like those were like 500 bucks at the time and you know you could always get another ac30 I, think I, sold the, I sold the guitars too, actually. Yeah, where? Uh, I sold it to a I sold it to a fan who sold it, who offered to sell it back to me, and I didn't get to him in time. And then I saw it on the internet at a place called Mike and Mike's Guitar Bar. They have two of my guitars, actually. Weirdly enough, like <laughs> fifteen years apart. No two sh- Telecasters, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I guess it's kind of it's kind of easy to spot your old guitars. Yeah, it's a lot easier for you. And there've been so many of them that, like, I'm like, you sure that one wasn't mine? Okay, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was my guitar. So it's funny because we've asked, we've probably done um, for listeners that don't know, we're we're putting a bunch of these in the can before we we start launching them. So this may not come out for a little bit of time. And we've already done some some really fun interviews with some great people, and and we always ask that question like, what's the one that got away? And there are some great ones, and uh, you know Arthur Smelios from uh, from Gorilla Biscuits and Sid, he had a he had a great one. And uh, ultimately, I've been holding back on like sharing mine. You know why? Why? It's the JMP I sold you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, one day. It's still sitting in the studio. You know, it's funny. I sold that head to a, a friend of ours, this guy, Sam Patterson from New Brunswick. Um, you know, Luke knows him as well, a good friend of ours. Um, I had sold it to him and. I said, look, if you ever are going to get rid of it, you got to sell it back to me. You got to call me first, right? And we have a deal. I got to buy it back for exactly what you paid me for, right? And I'm, he said, okay, deal. So I'm at, a, I'm at a Cincinnati Reds game with a customer of ours. Um, and, and we're sitting there, we're talking gear, and I'm like, man, craziest thing. This, this is the one that got away. I'm so bummed I sold it. And we're bullshitting, and I get a phone call, and it's Sam at the game, right there. We were talking about it. I was like, "Get out of here!" That's and he weird. Goes, John Stanley, another friend of ours, guy who was in X Number Five with Luke, uh, this all keeps coming back to Bodenstein tonight. Um, he goes, "John Stanley is selling me his high wallet, so I need to sell this JMP. You want it?" I was like, dude, I'll take it back. Absolutely. And we, we figured out a way to, to, to get it sent up. I think he, he might have shipped it to me. I might have been in, I don't know where it was at the time. That's but awesome. Yeah, I was like, yeah, absolutely buying it back. So, yeah, so that's funny. You and I will forever be bonded that way. Yep. That JMP. Yeah, dude, that JMP. I'll tell you what, we when we did our record, um, 
well, it was hardly a record. I think we only released one song of that recording, but we used that and we used Gavin Van Flack's um, JMP that he used in Pride, that he used in Die 116. Those two. It's in Burn, too. It's, an, it's, it's an 80. Yeah. Oh, wow. Vertical Those input, two, uh, two input, mm. master volume. They were monstrous. So, so for anybody that doesn't know, Josh is like guitar tech and stars. You, you have, you know, I, I abandoned my tech career early on. I must have toured for about five years. I ended, I think the last tour I must have done officially was with Sam. I am in Creed um, in 98. Wait, that was like together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they were they were bound by um, by Bill McGaffey. Oh, okay. McGaffey Agency, uh, I guess. I mean, Corey Sheridan was managing them, and Bill was doing promotion for Creed. So, yeah, so that was a weird tour, but it actually worked out pretty good. And then I, I bailed from it after some shows with the Foo Fighters and stuff. Uh, I was just done. At that point, I was, I was done. Um, you, you've been there, I know. I heard a funny story about the guitar player from Creed, who I hear is a super nice guy. He is. He's a good dude. But I heard that he asked his tech. I hope I'm not like telling you your own story. I don't think I am. No, no. But I had heard that he asked his tech uh, if he could set up his his stuff in the back lounge of the bus, and he was like, "Your stuff's in the truck. The truck's not here." And he's like, "Oh, the stuff goes in the truck." He thought all the gear went under the bus every night. I don't know how true that story is, but I can see that, you know, because when we toured with those guys, other than Scott Stapp, everybody else in that band, Brian and Scott, the drummer, just super down to earth, kind of old, good old boy type guy, really sweet. Um, Scott had an air to him, and 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 I don't I don't care. fuck you, dude. If you listen to that. <laughs> you were the only I'm one sure. in that band I didn't like. Uh, yeah, I've heard I've heard nothing but nice things about the other dudes. Yeah, they, they were really good dudes. So anyway, that was my last tour. Um, but you, I mean, you've been doing it for years, and you've you've did it for some great bands. You're still out with great bands. You, I know you just did some work with Kings of Leon again, and, yep. and you and our friend Brian Diaz do yep. um, do the Fallout Boy gig, and Brian's a good old old New York friend. Um, so all of the now we need to hear some stories about the gear. Okay about some of the rigs and some of the sick pieces of gear that you've had your hands on over the years. Well, I got to, I got to, uh, I got to touch Greeny. You guys know what Greeny is? Kirk Hammett's, you, uh, yeah. Peter Green, Peter Les Green's Paul. Les Paul. Yeah. So I was in, wow. um, the out of I was in Les Paul. London. I was in London with Sleater Kinney and we were at this rehearsal place. And uh, it's funny, this story doesn't relate to them at all, besides me being there with them. Um, but in the next room over, they were getting ready to do the Peter Green tribute concert, which was with Mick Fleetwood, uh, some guy named Eric Clapton. Um, Just that guy. Yeah. And, but Kirk, Kirk Hammett randomly was playing. I don't, beyond him owning the guitar, I'm not really sure why Kirk Hammett was there necessarily. 
Um, but he will apparently anybody that shows interest in it or knows what it is will be like, Oh, you want to, you want to check it out? Mm. And I was like, no, I guess, but no, I don't want to fucking touch this thing. Um, so that was pretty wild. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It was cool. Like when I was out with the breeders, like they still have the same gear that the breeders had the whole time. Like be it, or even Kim's music man from when she was in the Pixies and whatever, like she has never sold anything. I don't think so. Like she has the, the gold top that Kim plays is the same gold top that Joey played in the Pixies the whole time when they're around. And I don't know. Um, what else did I? Well, those are definitely legendary. Yeah. I don't know. There's just weird, weird, random things. I don't know. I forget. <laughs> I mean, not for nothing, you let off with Greenie. Where else do you want to go? Yeah, it's right. kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> that was the same day that Clapton walked in on me in the bathroom. So that was that was a weird day. That's an even better story. <laughs> it was super uncomfortable. <laughs> That's amazing. So you've owned shit tons of gear, shit tons of rigs. I Yeah, I have a problem. Yeah, well, you and me both. We all the three of us on this call. We could we could start a fucking self help. Actually, it's pretty funny. We could probably start like a gear head anonymous, but we'd all be enablers. We yeah. can't. I can't be in any a gear head anonymous. That I would be, be like, I'd just be dude, buying stuff the whole time. You should probably just get that. <laughs> oh yeah, which but, was definitely. It's it's mostly Paul. Malinowski, it's it's pretty much his fault because that was his answer to any time I saw anything. Because he, he was like already married and stuff, and I was like, anytime something remotely cool would come through, he'd be like, "Yeah, you should probably just get that." Like we were in, uh, shit, somewhere in Louisiana, and I walk, I, I, you know, we get gas, and oh, there's a pawn shop. Walk in there, and there's a music store area. And uh, there's an empty Marshall 810 cabinet, a basket weave grill. Oh, yeah. Red. Oh. And I was, there's no place, because as we know, with Shiner, it was like we previously discussed, we had so much fucking gear. There was no room in the trailer. So I put it in the loft of the van. <laughs> I, won't, I won't sleep. I'll sit on the floor. Pretty much, yeah. So I like, I like laid next to this empty 810 cabinet from all the way back from Louisiana to Kansas City. But yeah, two, I paid 250 for that thing. And I never oh. even put speakers in it. I just flipped it. I wish oh. I hadn't, but. But then again, I don't really like 10s. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you know what? That's 810 a great cabinet, is different than just 10s. This is true. It's true. When I was still working at Guitar Center years and years and years ago, I helped Kurt Blue get some speakers for his. And then out of nowhere, he hits me up and he's like, my friend Tepe has one. Could you get those same tens that you got me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And at that time, do you know Chris Pierce? Uh, I don't know. Doc Hopper? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Chris still has his uh, A10. Really? In New Brunswick, in his studio in New Brunswick. Yeah, Damn. it's it's rad. Nice. I've played them, and I've always wanted one, and everyone I've kind of come close to that's been affordable has, like, gotten away. But that's yeah. a dream piece of gear. And so 
our company distributes Marshall in the U.S. And I do my my specific division. We do Natal drums, which is owned mm-hmm. by Marshall. Um, so I got to go to the Marshall factory like two years ago. We took a trip over and and it was pretty incredible to be there and hold like number one, like the first. Wow. Um, and every time we passed an 810, I just turned to the managing director and I'm like, you know, you really have to make these. Things. <laughs> you know what they did? They did make they made one. They I got them to make one for Troman. Oh, no shit. He had, so yeah, we were in fucking, we were in England and I, the dude from Marshall came down because they were trying to like get Joe away from Orange and they brought a JTM 45, a hundred watt super lead reissue and an 800 reissue. And I set it up in the, in our guitar world and he came out and he's like, looks at them all. And I already had like the 800 set up and I was like playing through it and like lighting people were coming up. I'm like, what is that? That sounds great. You know? Cause I would always bring a guitar with me. Um, and then Joe comes out and he's like, I want to try the 45. And then he just played Zeppelin riffs through it. And that was it. <laughs> he, <didn't, laughs> he kept the JTM 45, didn't even try the 800. And uh, he was like, so, Hey, can we, uh, can we make me an 810 cab? And they're like, yeah, sure. And they made him a custom one and we wrapped it up in like shipping blankets and it's sitting in mates. And I don't think he's touched it since. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got two. One I got a case built for, and they built the case wrong. So it was riding on its back the whole time. And I was like, this is, did you guys look at the drawing or no? Okay. Nice. Uh, that's great. But yeah, they will make you one if you want to pay for one. I don't know what he paid, but yeah, I mean, it, lo- it looks fucking badass. I think I'm going to see Craig in Nashville for Summer Nam. So I'll, uh, I'm going to bug the shit out of it. But the thing is, they're not going to make it cheap. But- I mean, if, if they made them again, they would sell them. You oh, know? Yeah. Because when you like Mojo Tone is making pseudo Kurt Baloo cabinets with the 412 speaker layout, yep. if Marshall made them, they would be fucking huge. They would absolutely sell. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, so we t- you've had a ton of gear, and we talked about the stuff that got away. Yep. Which kills me. Uh, I should have been I didn't there to buy mention, that. I didn't, I, regret e- it. I didn't even mention the high watts or anything like that. But. Oh, we, we can get to that too. Uh, <laughs> but so what about a thing that you never got? What, what is the, the gear you wanted? The, th- the one thing that you never managed to get your hands on? A lefty Travis Bean. Ooh, that's like a, a 1,000... A or an S, I wouldn't care, either one. Um, I've seen two ever. One uh, is a white one that lives in Germany. I think it got sold to last time. And then I just got, uh, someone sent me a photo of one with these crazy inlays someone did afterwards. But yeah, the Travis Bean is, is the holy grail for me just because of Six Stringer Satellite and the Jesus Lizard. And, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's, the ultimate for me that's a solid piece of gear and that that was a very quick response too there wasn't much thought put into that i I only think about it every day so (laughs) (laughs) i uh, mean it's and i'm close with my egcs but it's not it's not and i love kevin he does beautiful guitars and they're amazing but it's it's not the same as like me being 20 years old playing with the jesus lizard and seeing Dwayne with his high Watts right. and his, his, his Travis Bean and it just sounding like no other guitar I've ever heard. Does, uh, EGC has some kind of deal with the, 
the Travis Bean yeah. estate, right? Yep. He, he, I think some of the money sold from each, each bean that he does now is, uh, given to Rita in some way. So that's awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, where, where I live in New Jersey, I'm, uh, I'm not far from Neptune where the Kramer factory was. So yep. there's a ton of Kramers here, both aluminum neck and post. Yeah. There's actually a lot of, because a lot of those same people also sought Travis beans. So, uh, I've come across a bunch of them around here, but I, I really seen a lefty Travis Bean. I had uh, I had a righty uh, Kramer that I would play upside down, and it had those the stupid nut with the little like ball string ball ends in it. What a fucking nightmare! God forbid you break a string somewhere when you're playing, and it was just like ping. That thing was fucking gone. <laughs> it was such a drag. <laughs> and plus, I, the Kramers. I mean, I don't know if you know that story about how Gary Kramer used to work for Travis Bean. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably know that. But yeah. did you also know that he he basically asked Travis how close, like, what would have to be different for you to not be able to sue someone? That I did not know. <laughs> and then he went and fucking started Kramer. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. When, so when you talk to people, like I, I know Mark McElwee, who ended up working, he was like Travis's like number two guy. I've met him a bunch and you can't, you can't mention Gary Kramer's name around those dudes. Yeah, I'm sure. They are, they, they are not a fan. <laughs> Speaking of which, I would love to have a Kramer axe, bass, or guitar, but I don't think those ever came lefty. But if you see one, let me know. We will. I don't, I don't look for anything lefty. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Sometimes it's in the corner, though, collecting dust at a store. Yeah. Well, now um, Gibson owns Kramer. They do. I and just they just out started reissues. So they're going to figure out a way to sue Travis Bean to say it was their idea first. <laughs> Probably. Yes. Because yes. it's and, pretty funny. They've, you know, there's been a, their share of lawsuits in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. Pretty funny because they sued a company that I won't mention about a headstock design, which coincidentally was designed by that company, which predates it by probably three decades. Yeah. It's that Midwestern ingenuity. No. <laughs> exactly. Um, wow. Where do we go from there? Holy shit. Although so, I'm interested, so you glazed over your ECG. So let, let's talk about it. For anybody out there who doesn't know EGC, it's an uh, electrical guitar company. You've got a Josh Newton model. I do, which is fucking weird. Uh, what, I, I, <laughs> what is it for, for, a, for a grungy, punk rock, hardcore dude to have a signature model from a company that builds badass guitars how does that feel it's awesome um i probably should have stuck with the symmetrical shape that i was used to i mean so i'm like beyond having the either the travis bean be my ultimate dream guitar i also love offset guitars well not even i'm not really the biggest jaguar fan just because they don't i don't like a, i don't like a short spell guitar it just feels blinky to me and i'm not like a big dude but it still doesn't feel, it doesn't resonate the same way to me. Um, but I, when <laughs> Kevin texted me, Kevin Burkett, who owns EGC, texted me like really early in the morning one day, like, so I'm thinking about doing signature guitars and I think you should get one. What would you want? And I think by like 
20 minutes later, I sent him a mock-up of what I would want. <laughs> like, no, was no, on, really. Here's a schematic. Yeah, pretty much. I was on Photoshop instantly. Like, okay, well, so I want the acid dip finish with it. So it's, it's basically a jazz master made out of aluminum completely uh, with a mastery bridge and the Travis Bean style pickups with splittable coils. Um, but having um, that tremolo on an aluminum guitar where the neck can be a little finicky with temperature and stuff, it's been more of a challenge than I anticipated. Um, so the, and I tend to, with, and the necks are obviously super thin. Um, I, I tend to, I found out, play a little sharp. I tend to bend things out a little bit. So unless I'm using like 56 gauge strings, I'm probably going to be a little sharp. So when Shiner recently, we did a live version of our, a record that came out and uh, we filmed it. So I'm not playing my signature guitar at all. I played it when we were sound checking and it sounds fucking badass and you can't beat the sound of the aluminum guitar. But this company from Kansas City called Scythe made me basically a Stratocaster, their version of it. And it's all handmade and it's fucking insane. And uh, yeah, that's also a great guitar, but I really, there's something about the aluminum that just sings. It's so crazy. It's unlike any other guitar I've ever played. It's kind of ruined me for wooden guitars, except for like a couple that I have. It's that density because the same thing with, I had a Dan Armstrong yep. and it just, I mean, it's just that density of the body that it's, it's a sound that you can't recreate. From it's so yeah it's so strange it's it's really pretty pretty awesome plus so, they're hollow which makes it sound it's 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 super like yeah. when you're playing it acoustically it's super loud yeah so um you mentioned shiner's newest record um which i'm not sure if i, I would completely butcher if i tried to pronounce the name of the record um uh, shot yeah. shot and Freud. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I my German is not great, so uh, yeah. If it was Italian, I would nail it. <laughs> um, the record is phenomenal. Oh, thank you. And I just got a new car with a killer sound system, and it was one of the first records I blasted in the car That's because right. sonically, you guys achieved. And, and I'm not blowing smoke because I mean we're we're friends. I, I don't have to you know try to impress you. I, I really really loved from the drum sounds, yeah, to, you know to the guitar sounds and the bass tones. I don't know if you guys could have perfected that anymore. I really I'm a big fan of the record. So what did you use? I, I'm sure you used so many different. It sounds to me like you used so many different setups. Well, I went back, I, I did my parts in like three or four or five sessions. So like, I was literally like finishing a tour with someone and then be like, Oh, I can write my, I can route my flights through KC and be in KC for a day or two and record some guitar parts. Um, I literally didn't give a shit what I used. <laughs> oh, come on. You're crushing my dreams that you took time into that. No, I seriously didn't. It was cool. Well, because Paul owns his own studio and we we did everything ourselves and i would seriously be like what's in the room like what's in the track room what's set what's, up? what sounds pretty good i use my orange for some like my my i so when china got back together i bought 
well, not when we got back together. I used random shit for a bunch of years. But when we decided to actively be a band again, I went back to Orange and I got a Rocker Verb 3 half stack, um, which actually ultimately didn't really end up working out for me, weirdly enough. Um, but <laughs> so I use that. shouldn't be two channels. Well, there's that. But also, I didn't, it just, it just wasn't doing what I needed it to do. Like the mids would disappear, it would get kind of squ- the distorted channel would get kind of squishy, like too much. Mm-hmm. I like I like the amp to kind of fight back and not just kind of like melt into whatever I'm putting into it. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, I ended up using Fender amps like combos. Wow. Like if I if I took a step back, it's probably mostly my tw- my '68 twin reissue and. Paul's got some really nice vintage Fender amps at the studio. So it was generally two two twelve combos. And then I used a weird little crate piece of junk thing with like a six inch speaker. And that, that actually got used a lot. A tube amp or a transistor amp? It was a tube crate head. Like, I don't remember the name of it, but just, it's just like little class A thing that you can crank up and make sound super disgusting. Yeah. That's, that's what amps do, and most people don't know how to do that. So yeah. <laughs> what were you driving the, the 212s with? I mean, because you weren't getting distortion out of those. No, like, I was using, yeah. uh, I think it was mostly using my Fuzzrocious OC Demon, actually. Um, that was kind huh. of my main go-to, and I think I used a Rat at some points, like a vintage one that was kicking around the studio. But I really would just try to, like, I was into throwing whatever pedals that were like kind of in front of me and seeing what the, I was like, have an idea for a part. That's the bummer for me about this record is they let me go so nuts with guitar parts. Like if you listen to the record, Alan is generally like on the left side around like one o'clock and I am like every other guitar part pretty much. <laughs> wow! So it's been kind of a fucking nightmare <laughs> trying to figure out how to play this stuff live. So are you adding another guitar player live, or are you doing the along this song? I'm going to play this part for this part. I'm yeah, I'm like taking. I'm, yeah, I'm taking whatever is kind of like the most standout part. But I'm also having. I have a looper. I have this whole switching system now, which I've never had before. I was doing a lot of tap dancing, excuse me, prior to this, but now I, so I got one of those RJM switchers mm-hmm. cause that's what I tend to I use. That's what I use for fallout boy. And that's what I use for a couple other people. And I, for me, for my money, as far as MIDI switchings go, MIDI switching systems go, RJM is like way above everybody else for like how you can program it. You can do it, make it do literally anything. And Ron Minnelli, the owner is like, if I had, if I ever had a problem with anything, dude would email me back that day before the show, like send me your, your, your file and like fix my shit like more than once. Oh, wow. He's, they've gone above and beyond and been super awesome. But the drag for me is I can't change my stuff like mid show. Like I always right. like to maybe like, maybe, maybe I just want to put tremolo on here for a second. Well, now I have presets for every song and I kind of can't do that. Cause I don't, right. I didn't get the, I didn't get the one that was big enough to have an instant access button for every loop that I have. Right. So I can only go like, I have like six presets for every song. So now I'm kind of like, I'm in a weird place, but there's like, again, so many guitar parts 
where like sometimes I'm literally sampling, sampling myself and playing over it while those dudes are playing. <laughs> we've, and we've only done three shows of this new material, so it could still evolve. But as it is right now, it's fucking space station central. Like it's, I got some wild stuff going on for the second. We did two shows in September, like limited audience thing and outside. And we went to go to the next, uh, I have, this, I put the set list in it and I hit the next song and I had fucking no presets for the next song. And it wasn't the, 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 the our jam. It was totally me and me putting the set list in weird. And I think I had the song copied twice, one with no presets and one that I should have picked with the presets. Right. Uh, so I was like, fuck, what's close to that song effects wise? Uh, and I kind of faked my way through it. The rest of it was okay. But so, bang, 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 bang. if I was my own, t- I would have fucking fired myself that night probably. <laughs> you know, you really, you really should get yourself a Josh Newton. I am the worst. Like, my own shit compared to what I work for somebody is so not in the same quality range at all. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. It, it's pretty funny because I, I think our, our friend Jay Robbins mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, when, when he's doing his studio, I mean, his ear for perfection is insane. Yeah. And then like he'll post a picture of his pedal board wires everywhere and i would send him a message and just go dude you pedal board's fucking tweaking me out man yep i mean mine was always a disaster until i built this pedal board it was always a fucking nightmare and now it's like super nice now all the other guys in the band are like so you feel like building any more pedal boards and i'm like no no i don't unless you can afford my day not if you want to pay me my day rate to text for you then i will yeah (laughs) awesome Dude, that's great. I, I love that James had to make a comment about uh, wires tweaking him out because just recently he posted a photo of his little studio setup and a whole bunch of us instantly commented on the rat's nest of wires and cables hanging b- b- behind the back of the desk. It's the first thing we all, all focused I think on. I, re- I think I recall seeing that, actually. Let the record reflect. I've got a <laughs> on the floor... And my fucking focus rights are up top. And I've got a lot of shit go- got a lot of shit going on right now. <laughs> it's all I could think when you mentioned the cables. The yeah, first I knew that shit was coming. I posted first thing that came into my head. the first fucker to comment on this. And it was probably my wife, actually. <laughs> she went, do you realize what you posted? You're just looking for comments. You deserved it. You deserve what you get. Yeah. So, Josh, did you have you picked up an Albi yet? No, not yet. Which I should because I've really been so I fucking hated chorus on guitars. I always thought it was like so. Yeah, it was just yeah. It just it it never worked for me. But now I'm obsessed with chorus on guitars. (laughs) So you know, even guys in their late forties can change their opinion. Um, yeah, I have to get one. It seems like a really good, like, do-all kind of pedal for shoegazy, melty stuff. Yeah, That's it. Knowing knowing what a shoegaze fan you are um, and a Britpop fan you are, and, and so are we, man. I mean, I, when I met Dan, actually, I, I can't lie. I mean, I, I loved the Smiths, 
But when I met Dan, he turned me on to Ride and Adorable and all these bands that I had never heard before, you know, 93, 94. I guess we met mm-hmm. in 94, early 95. Yeah, 94. Um, I, come, I came more from the goth side of things, really. Yeah. Be it like The Cure or Bauhaus or any of that stuff. And they used all that shit. I don't know why I had such a problem with it. <laughs> you know, I'm really... So my wife kind of hate to do a sorry story about me, but when, when we're talking about like new wave, right. And, and like the stuff that really is in our souls. Um, my wife doesn't come from the music scene. You know, she kind of grew up in long Island, listened to pop music, whatever. And since we started dating, uh, 10 years ago before we got married. So she started to like, Oh, I like that. Okay. So then she'll get into this band and she'll get into that band. But we are both obsessed with the new wave station on XM, and that's all we listen to. Yeah. Uh, first wave. Um, so now it's like every time we're in the car, like now she's like knowing songs that like came out when she was like two. Yeah. They, it's it's, I, I like that station as well, but they tend to repeat themselves a lot. Yeah. It's like there's a few other bands you could play, man. <laughs> Totally. You, you know, if you listen to that station for at least 60 minutes, there are going to be two Smith songs. Yes, definitely. Always. <laughs> two Smith songs and at least one Erasure song. Of course, yes. Can't not have the Erasure. Um, All the, that stuff's very... The Erasure is very skippable for me. I can't stand that guy's voice, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm yeah, with, I, I can never get into them. On the, on, the ride, on the ride home tonight from dinner. Um, and she's like, is this the band that does break the chains of love? I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't miss this guy's voice. Yeah. Um, so wait, we talk, so we've been talking a lot about, um, about guitar. Um, but I mean, you've notably played bass in some pretty cool bands. So, I mean, aside from the teching side, which, which I'm sure many of the bands that you toured with have a bunch of different setups. So let's just talk about some of the bass setups that you've done in some of the bands that you've that you played bass in. Uh, yeah. Um, so when I so Season to Rest was the first band that I played bass for, um, and that was in, in the mid '90s. I uh, well, the issue was the bass player before me, Paul, who I played in Shiner with. So incestuous. Um, yeah. Kansas City's not that big. Um, he had a 400 plus with the with the Road Ready 215, and it was just fucking. His bass sound was just destruction. It was like he had a tube screamer and a metal zone. He's he still uses the metal zone, by the way, on the bass. Um, so it was kind of like, well that's not broken. So I'm going to get the same thing he had, except I played a jet. He played a P, a P elite with two P pickups from the early eighties and which he still plays. And, um, he's not like me with the gear. Uh, so I got a jazz bass cause I kind of wanted to go a little more Dave Sims, Jesus Lizard style with what I wanted to do. So I got a, I got a white jazz bass with a 400 plus and I kind of went on a pedal quest for that band, but I, I don't really count it because it's just a distortion pedal. But I think the rat ended up being the winner. Um, so that's what I played in season to risk. And then and from autumn to ashes, I think they already had a whole bunch of backline that 
they bought or Vagrant bought, whoever. Um, and I switched to the Mesa Boogie Impulse head, which were fucking garbage. I blew up shit. I don't even know how many of those things I blew up. If you looked at those amps wrong, they would just die. And they had two Ampeg 810s, which I hated. Um, I was never, I've never been able to make Ampegs work for me, which probably says more about me than the amp because they're the standard for a reason. But, and I hear plenty of people playing them and I like them. You know, like when I listen to Swerve Driver, that bass sound is awesome. And that was an Ampeg with a jazz bass with a probably a, you know, whatever distortion pedal. It just didn't, it was never articulate enough for me especially after coming from the EV designed boogie cabinets that throw air, like they're super directional. Whereas yeah. I feel like the, the eight tens kind of emanate sound in like an omnidirectional thing. I need it to be much By the more way, fo- you're, focused. You're talking to two guys who both own thanks to Dan, who bought me one. We both own those, those rack case 215. Yeah, the They're the best. They're the best yeah. base cabinets. Like, and if you articulate your head right, it doesn't, you know, you can cut through with 15s and people don't realize that. Completely. Like if you put a GK into that thing, like an 800 RB, fucking forget it. You are like, good luck for the drummer. Like you better work. <laughs> <laughs> I actually um, run a, I run a Sound City into my two into my two fifteen road. Really? Road. Yeah. The one of the bands that I played in, I was actually running uh, an SVT classic with an eight ten, and the Sound City through a two fifteen. That Damn. was my bass rig. Which yeah. which Sound City is it? Uh, it's it's a one twenty, but it was converted. For, it's not a B, but it was converted for a B. Nice. Yeah. I still want a Sound City so bad. I I absolutely love it. I love it. I've always, yeah, that's, there's a sound city on my horizon at some point. I know it. We have to, we have to talk to our friend Neil. uh, Yes, I have actually, I I have, we've, we've had many conversations and he's like, you're going to go up to the factory. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, if I, I, if I was like a normal guitar player, I feel like it would make sense to be like, yeah, I'm going to go play some riffs and licks. And, but like, I'm not, I don't play guitar like that. So I would feel very strange with like having Fryette standing there watching me play and be like, this dude sucks. And I'm like, no, but I'm good for what I do. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good in my, I'm, I'm good in my band. Yeah. I was like, in the pool. It's, yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's shrinkage. It's the, if, if, if he is standing there watching me play guitar, it's maximum shrinkage. <laughs> Okay, so every time I die... So I joined every time I die, they also had many an Ampeg. And, like, they had Ampeg heads and Ampeg A10s. And I was like, fuck. And then we decided to have a big gear sale. We had, like, a crazy every time I die yard sale. They sold a bunch of their gear. and I'm, So then I got uh, two Aguilar cabinets. Mm. I, I got their A10, which is fucking phenomenal. And their base 412 cabinet, which is up there with the boogie as far as i'm concerned like yeah. if you ever come across the aguilar 412 base cab it's it's like it's super punchy it's super directional it's really high fidelity almost too high fidelity so i was running two uh orange ad 200s into those we had them on each side of the drums and you could you could hear me 
<laughs> those are those are hired with the staggered 412 layout, right? Yeah, and a tweeter, which I never used. But um, so yeah, the and then I I went back and played in Season to Risk not too long ago. We did a few tours, and we're actually going to write some new stuff um, as an exclusive. <laughs> yeah, you heard um, it here first. Except but it'll I've, be like nine weeks old when we. That's uh, okay. When this me, comes we, out, we won't be anywhere by then. <laughs> There's no riffs popping into this brain. Um, but for that, for the last tour, I did playing bass, which was a couple of years ago. I ended up using an orange, uh, one of those little guys there, the, tar- the tiny terror with one of, one of the new, newer boogie 215s, which sounded good, but it was just not the same. Yeah. Those, uh, those, those cool. boogie 215s, the old ones are real tough to beat. Uh, it's, I never yeah. thought I would switch from an A10, but I sold all, I sold all my A10s. And my Ampeg 215s. And, uh, really? That's all I kept. It's the only full-size uh, they just cabinet like, that I have. There's something about that EV design for that cabinet, which is just like mind-blowing. I guess maybe Boogie stopped paying for the license to use it, which is why they had to change their cabinet design. Because EV actually owns the... I'm sure I'm telling you shit you know. No, but e- e- EV actually owns that design... Because they came up yeah. with the speakers and they came up with the perfect cabinet design to, for it to throw the air correctly. It's uh, that cabinet is two EVS 115s on their side. Yep. That's what that cabinet is. Uh, and I actually owned, at one point, I owned two uh, EVS 115s as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they were covered in paint spackle. Uh, James, James will remember those. It, it looked like they, they had been under an area that someone used for painting for years. And they looked it. I remember the first time I saw somebody use that cabinet, and it was Tony Bono. Yeah. And it was in into another. I don't know what he was using when he was in Whiplash, but that dude's bass tone in into another. And and unfortunately, that band really never had a really great studio recording until mm-hmm. maybe Seamless came out. Yeah. But I would love to have heard the quality of Seamless on those earlier records because his Tony's live bass sound was just monstrous. It was huge. Yeah. It was absolutely. Dan. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to bring it back. We're, we're going to converse all night about other stuff. We're going to go off the deep end. Uh, so we talked about uh, amps, heads, stuff that got away, the guitars that got away, the thing. What is the thing that you never wanted? What's the thing that you have that you hate? Or the thing that you got and you had to unload as quick as humanly possible? Um, fractals. I've had wow. two. I've had two fractals, and I fucking hate them. I bought I, well. So when I was working for Fallout Boy, there goes talk, that endorsement. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which, but the thing is, is I've heard plenty of people use them, and they sound fucking great. It just—it's not kind of like what I was talking about before. We're having like the presets on my pedal board and all that stuff. Like, I don't like being locked into this thing and i know what it's going to be every time like i like consistency don't get me wrong and it, certainly if i'm working for somebody else i want shit exactly the same every night um 
but with myself, I don't know. It's just kind of like fun. Like maybe I'm, maybe I'm bored. Maybe the crowd is not amazing. And maybe I just want to like amuse myself more and make things sound weirder. I don't know. Um, it's, it's but, a valid, it's a valid viewpoint. And I got to tell you, it's funny cause I never thought about it, uh, in, in those kind of terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so the first time I tried one, I follow boy, they sent me, it wasn't fractal. It was a, um, a Kemper mm-hmm. and I didn't like that. You couldn't put the effects. You couldn't put a delay before the amplifier or any of that stuff at the time. It was, and they didn't even have the time to have a Mac editor. It was all PC. And I was like, well, you guys are going to be fucked. Cause <laughs> all of us, for the most part, we own Macs. Like, not exclusively, but more often than not, a band fucking nerd probably gonna have a Mac. And they were like, "What? Really? Yeah. Okay, you know." And they, I guess they get around to making one. Um, but I've heard it's still kind of cumbersome. But I, luckily, I've only worked for one person for a couple of days that had a Kemper, and I never had to get into it because he wouldn't let me touch it. So thirty seconds to Mars, he like literally wouldn't let me touch his stuff. I love these stories. <laughs> you have to tell us a thirty seconds to Mars story, please. Uh, okay. I don't. I don't think I, I think you just did. Don't touch don't, my stuff. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: is I showed up for rehearsal, and the first day I was there, dude never even came to practice. He was at his house with some other tech working on his Kempers, and I was like, "All right, well, I guess I'll just." walk around Jared Leto's fucking house and be weird. He owns this um, old naval base kind of thing in the Hollywood Hills where they used to film like naval propaganda movies. Um, not sure why, but it's like a bunker. He's got this fucking bunker in the Hollywood Hills, not far from where the uh, Wonderland murders happened because mm. he, he lives on Wonderland. Uh-huh. Head up there, everybody. Yeah, um, right. Go look for his house, folks. Yeah, it's the one that looks like a bunker. Um, <laughs> so dude didn't even show up for like the first two days of rehearsal. And by the third or fourth day, I was like, okay, I got to get somebody else on this fucking job because this is not the gig for me. Like those dudes, everything is the tracks. They don't even, they didn't even have a full band. Like the drummer played, the bass player, keyboard player guy played, who was the musical director, who was not in the band. Jared Leto sang and played guitar. And then Tomo, the guy I was... air quotes, by the way, folks, who can't see. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I think my tone kind of inflected it, though, uh, which is better than his tone. Um, so <laughs> at one point, these dudes are, like, rehearsing because they were going to go out on tour opening for Muse. And if it's bad enough, within a week where I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here, um, you know it's going to be bad. So... <laughs> Well, especially since you've been accused of not knowing how to tune a guitar by some other artists. Yeah, well, this is before that. But um, uh, that's a, I'm not going to name names on no, that No, we're story. not going there. We're not going there. But, uh, um, I know. I know. You told me the story. I, uh, so at one point, these dudes would like practice the audience participation parts for their songs. So like... <laughs> When Jared would finally come downstairs to fucking sing, God, I hope I didn't sign an NDA for this. Anyway, uh, he like they would be like, so wait, is this the song where I go, whoa, or just the yeah song? And the kick would just keep going. It was like the worst mashup ripoff of every fucking late era U2 song I've ever heard in my life. Like, I love old U2. <laughs> I love U2 up until the Joshua Tree. 
anything beyond that, I'm, I'm really, I have no time for it. So these yeah, dudes same. would like, he busted out the flag. He was like up Bono's fucking ass. But anyways, they would just keep this kick going or he would like try to think of shit to say for rehearsals. And at one point he must've been high as shit on fucking pills or something. Cause I know he'd hurt his hip mountain climbing. I rolled my eyes when I said mountain climbing and uh, those of you at home, he rolled his eyes. He comes down and he's like, the band is already rehearsing for a while at this point. And he comes down and he starts, he has nothing to talk about during this art audience participation part. So he starts telling us about the old man that makes his steel cut oatmeal. And this went on for 20 fucking minutes. <laughs> I think that was maybe the last day that I went to go work there. Oh. Was it was wow. it a no show no show next day? Uh, we never left rehearsals. All I did was rehearsals. No, I meant like you didn't show up the next day. Oh like, no! Well, I got some, no. I got someone. I found someone to fill in for me. This dude I didn't really know, and I, I couldn't vouch for him at all. Besides being like, because hey, he why showed would up. you do that to someone you do know? Yes, yeah, and that was right. pretty much. And I also, for the most part, except for like a few select dudes, I don't recommend other texts just because i can't there's dudes i know i can trust and there's dudes i'm worried about which is most of the other dudes that i don't recommend i have like three dudes that i will recommend but so i got this random ass dude that flew in and he ended up being his tech for like months so i guess he worked out but so i like dude shows up dude flies in from florida to la and I was like hey this is tomo this is rig and he won't let you touch it but make sure you fucking plug it in right and i was like See you later. <laughs> it was so yeah, I, I text for and they're on my resume, but I only text for them for a week. Oh man. You know what? I did see them once and you know, I gotta say, at least that, that one record was okay. It was good. There were a couple of good tunes on it. Yeah. Uh, and, but it's really funny because another friend's band, they just finished their record. They used, it's such a good record, but they used way too many drum samples, yep. like kick and snare samples. And I'm like, guys, it sounds like 30 Seconds to Mars. It makes it sound like your record was recorded 20 years ago. You really, like your drummer has such good hands. Why are you doing this to him? Yeah. Uh, but they're really talented guys, and the, and the records can be really good. But unfortunately, the tone dates them, and and that's that's the thirty seconds to Mars thing. It's like, fucking. I mean, not, I was on a I was on a sure work tour. They did drums because it's just like you could program it. That I mean, well. I, I'm sure he did, but then they like flattened everything out. You know. Um. Yeah. So back I, to the camper. Back to the camper. Sorry. Yes. So, it's uh, funny because you, in, in some of the other episodes that we've done, you know, we have people who like kind of like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. I can just carry my tone everywhere I go. And the consistency is kind of a safety blanket, right? When you fly to Europe and you're like, here it is, you know, ready yeah, to go. I, I have it on a thumb drive. That's right, I have it on setup. thumb drive. And that's cool. I get it. And if I was in a more successful band, maybe I would want to go that way. Like if I didn't want to have to worry about my gear, or I didn't have to worry about, if I was trying to replicate the exact same, like, I tried to get Truman on that stuff and he wouldn't do it. And I tried, and then I got fractals and we spent like a summer tour um, kind of getting the fractal ready. And it just kind of wasn't there at the time. And everything I've heard since, and I actually bought one of Jimmy World's two summers ago, 
not to drop a name. Um, but I bought one of theirs, and of course, it had been wiped. I wish there had, if their sounds had been in it, maybe I would have kept it. Um, because I did a couple shows teching for those dudes, and their fractals sounded good. Um, it wasn't, it doesn't feel like an amp to me, and the effects don't really go as far out as I want them to go. But I, I, I've learned after having two fractals and trying to get shit down, it just, I need things to be much more tactile. I need knobs, I need switches, I need buttons. I don't need to like delve into the rabbit hole of changing the frequency of the electricity that's going into the amp and all the dampening and tube age. And I don't yeah. need to go there, man. I just, it, I want an amp that sounds pretty good with some pedals I like. <laughs> and I that's fine. Option paralysis. It it's, really uh, it completely was for me. It's too much that you just would have to tweak and figure out. Everything I tried, I was like, I'm only making this worse, which is probably not something a guitar tech should say publicly. <laughs> but at, at the same time, like the dude that I'm currently working for, he plays an AC-15 with six pedals. Yeah. And shit sounds the same every day, and it sounds good every day, and it sounds like him. He, you know, I mean, I'm sure I could set up something for him to sound exactly like his stuff, but it's, we don't need it. You know, I mean, for bands that are shipping tons of gear around the world, I totally get it. Like, it saves you so much money. Well, you know, yeah. why shipping 60-pound heads around, multiple heads and four, 12 cabinets and all that stuff? Like, I completely understand why people use them. It just, it's fucking boring to me. And I'm sure I'll have to work for somebody who uses that stuff again, you know? Yeah. Maybe not now. <laughs> <laughs> It's slash only from here on out. Uh, no, but you know, I, I don't blame you. And I'm the same way. I'd rather have like my core pedals that I'm very comfortable with, right? They're my safety blankets. I know what each one of them is going to do. I know how they're going to react. Yeah. Put that through a good clean channel on a tube combo, a pedal platform amp. Um, you know, I'm using a super Royal reverb right now. It's a 210 and it's loud as balls and, uh, it takes pedals really nice considering the guy who built it, you know, is, is the Pigtronics guy, right? Yeah. So he built it to be a pedal platform and, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get that tone. Ultimately, I think, you know, even a guy like Ken Andrews, right? He, he had been touring. I don't know if it was with Kempers or Fractals, but he was touring no cabinets on stage. At, at yeah, they're using, they're using the Fractals and they switched from the two to threes, which was a fucking huge nightmare because apparently you couldn't just make the switch. There was like a lot of parameters that got added to the threes that when you, when you tried to um, <clears throat> migrate, it was just a fucking nightmare, I guess. And they kind of had to almost start again. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing awesome. something about that. That's huge. That's yeah, a, it was, that's pretty great. Fuck up. You play through a blue voodoo, and it's still going to sound like Kevin and, uh, Ken Andrews, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know. I mean, but at the same time, like I get why they want. I'm fine with having sort of the same-ish guitar sound all night. I get, but I get why they kind of wanted to go back to like they modeled the fantastic planet stuff. They modeled, you know, whatever. And, and that's cool. You know, I, I respect it. It's just, that's not interesting to me. Cause I'm not trying to like recreate exactly the record every night. You know, I, I'm like, yeah. this is us in a room right now. And this is what it sounds like. And maybe it sucks, but <laughs> it's tonight. I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, I think Hum was another band that kind of did that. Even though they had very familiar gear live, it didn't sound like the record. Yeah. It sounded like them that night playing those songs. And as a fan, I mean, I, I loved every second of it. Yeah. So. They were also very loud. Yeah. Oh. That's uh, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> them and they, Centaur. Both. Were, they, were they as punishing as we were, though? No. No. <laughs> Well, I there, think there was not as much stuff on there. Uh, yeah. No. Well, next time we'll have less stuff. So I'll probably only have a half stack. So uh, I think the difference of seeing you guys at brownies and seeing those guys at like Bowery ballroom. I bet we were allowed. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, for uh, well, sure. I saw Shiner Shiner. I saw at brownies and yeah. Centaur. I saw at brownies mm. and that even a centaur, they were very loud, but not. Yeah, Matt's, you Matt's guys always been pretty loud. Yeah. You guys were very loud. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. You were. Okay, so- if they had been more than 23 people there, it might not have been super loud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they would have eaten up some of the sound. So loudest, loudest bands, loudest guitar tone. We've all seen a lot of music for, through a tons of genres, especially festivals. You know, all, who's the loudest guitar player you've ever well, seen? From when I was a kid, the two loudest that I recall, uh, Godflesh. I saw Godflesh open, or I don't know if they opened, but they played with Napalm Death. And it was fucking painfully loud. Like, so loud that they each had a spare rig set up right next to their rig. So, like, when Justin blew his head, he could just go into the other Marshall half stack. Mm. And I think Benny, the bass player, had the same thing going on. He had like a Trace Elliott rig, same thing. And then the first couple times I saw Unsane, Chris oh. was just... And I think he may have been only been playing like a twin or a showman at the time, but Chris was just so loud that it like hurt. Um, and a couple of years ago, I ended up doing some stuff on a tour with Dwight Yoakam. And he was playing, I think, a showman and a AC 30. And I think he was like one twelve or one fourteen decibels by himself off the stage. Wow. It wow. was like punishingly loud. And his acoustic was just a PA cabinet with a cr- like a crown power ramp. Nice. And it was just like, he was fucking punk as shit and it was painful. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Dan, who's the loudest band you've ever seen? Loudest. Loudest. Yeah, that's guitar, a tough right? one. That's a tough one. It's uh, so a lot, a lot of that, the stuff in that noise realm, uh, like Unsane and uh, Cop Shoot Cop and things of that nature from that early 90s New York, like noise scene, Helmet. Uh, you know, oh, they, helmet. Those dudes were always excruciatingly loud, especially, I'm sorry to cut you off, especially no, no, like no. When, they, when they switched from using the Marshall stuff to like the Harry Colby custom-made yeah. cabinets. Those things were just destruction yeah sorry so a lot of now that, that and that's exactly that's exactly at that time frame and those dudes um that stuff around there i did see i saw the helicopters at maxwell's in hoboken and they must have been they yeah. might as well have been playing that like they played like they were playing an arena yep it was it was insanity and, and we that were was in such maxwell's. a weird like shallow room that like yeah it must yeah. have just been destruction. Yeah, that wow. Yeah, it must have been awesome and awful. It was. It was. <laughs> they were amazing 
but it was so loud. But the thing that shocked me about it was as loud as it was, and it was really loud, very clear. Mm-hmm. Everything stayed very clear. It was a phenomenal show, and they sounded great. But the sheer volume, I'd never heard volume like that in that room before. And mm-hmm. that's why it, it sticks with me, because that was just crazy what they made that room sound like. Yeah. That's so, a tough room, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was blessed with, at one point, when I was vice president of um, this company called Samson, they did wireless and microphones and pro audio stuff. They also own Harky and we had geezer Butler playing Harky. So I was really lucky enough that we got to go hang with heaven and hell at Madison square garden one day. Wow. So hanging, hanging back and catering, sitting with video piece, bullshitting about this and that in Brooklyn. And, and, and then, you know, you get um, you get all the guys kind of coming in, and these are guys that God. I mean, we just we just worshipped, right? And then Dio comes in with the rattiest Yankee hat, like beat up to hell. And I went, oh, I had no idea you were a Yankee fan. Literally had a one hour conversation about the Yankees with Dio. Didn't talk music at all. Yeah, wasn't he like? Hoping to be a baseball player when he was a kid? Wanted to be a ball player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they go on. So Coheed was was on. I don't know if they were. I guess it must have been a tour that they did. Or they just opened that. that, that yeah, yeah. Felt form show. No, what's the, what's the theater at Madison Square Garden? That's what they I, I think. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, right. the theater. Yeah. The theater. And, and you know who was playing the big room that night? Was Britney Spears. So you had heaven and hell in one room and Britney Spears in the other. But I got to tell you, standing in front of Tony Iommi and, and you know, kind of, I was trying to catch them from all aspects of the room, on stage, side stage, front of the stage, but right in front of that stage. You guys have seen a million shows where it's just a wall of amps and none of them are fucking plugged in. Or one cabinet is Yeah. Yeah. He had every one of those cabinets going because I felt like this skin <laughs> was getting blown off of my face. And I just remember like, okay, dear diary, this was absolutely the loudest freaking rig I have ever heard in my life. That's um, awesome. Yeah, but that, that's like one of those things. Can't, can't beat that. Um, so uh, we're winding up, man. We could, we could probably talk for hours, and I think we're going to probably have to have you on again. And if anything, maybe have you on again and another guest. And we can, yeah, like, that'd be great. Four-way nerd out. Um, what? So I know what I know what Dan's going to ask, and I'm not going to go there. So what is your coolest gear acquisition story? Because I was going to ask you you know, what is the prized possession in your collection? But you already established that you're not emotional about your gear, that you don't. Yeah. Like uh, almost to a fault. I'd rather go with the coolest acquisition story. Okay. This one is cool. Maybe it's not cool. I think it's cool. Uh, So when I joined Season to Risk, we built a studio, which shortly thereafter got flooded and destroyed and ruined. Um, but we bought this uh, Autotronics board 
not knowing where it came from or anything, but it was like a quad mixing board. And we had like a couple 16 track, two inch machines. And, but the, uh, the board was used to record the song convoy from the movie convoy. Nice. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was, that's probably it. That one's, that's like, that's pretty wild. I think so the, that's we pretty did, cool. We did that season the risk record, uh, men are monkeys robots win. We did it on that board. And then as soon as I quit season, the risk, I moved away for a while and yeah, the whole studio got flooded and destroyed and uh, filled, filled up with so much dirt and soot that it looked like the board was carved out of chocolate. It was pretty insane. Uh, it got, it ended up getting salvaged, but our studio dreams were over. Oh, uh, wow. So yeah, the that, convoy. That is a great acquisition, though. That's, the convoy that's board. Pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. So, so where James was going with this one was uh, my my favorite last question to ask is always the same thing, and it's the the desert island gear. Desert island guitar amp pedal. You could. Uh, you could I'll let you do two pedals. Okay. You're a pedal guy. <laughs> um. It's amazing how you make like real gear guys twitch when you force them on an imaginary island. I literally had to like <laughs> see, I had to turn around and look at a shelf of yeah. pedals to see yeah. what it might be. <laughs> for those for those who can't see, he he immediately turned around and started scanning his room. Yeah, there's like a little there's some pedals there, just piles of crap and pedals and guitars. Um, and most of my gear is in Kansas City, so good for you. Um, I would, I would want a high watt half stack, hundred watt for the four twelve. Uh, a Travis Bean that is coming to me still for four years now. It's in the queue. There's a, I have two Travis Beans coming to me. One is a Wedge, which is the ugliest guitar ever made, which is my favorite guitar ever made. Um, so it'd be high watt half stack a travis bean wedge in whatever color oh man the pedals are a tough one <laughs> shit um remember you're gonna get bored so you better pick well you better pick something that's gonna keep you keep you going i can't believe this is so difficult um i would say it's some kind of delay pedal i don't really care what necessarily and uh oh this thing <laughs> the uh, it's a copy of the the life pedal by earthquaker devices i had someone make me a clone because i as an earthquaker <laughs> artist i can't fucking get one because they're so sold out <laughs> <laughs> so that i had amazing. someone make me one yeah so that one's good that's got the boost the rat and the octave in there so it'll kind of cover all the ground and it works for the bass too so, yeah. Awesome. So, so, an earthquake right. ripoff, a random delay pedal, and the stuff I'm probably going to end up using soon when we start playing live again. Rhymes with Earthquaker. Yes. Which, and I, you know, I'm not talking shit on Earthquaker at all. I just, if, if you can sell those yeah. things in limited amounts, goddamn, do it. Yeah. So yeah what, what high watt head would it be? It'd be a 103. 103. 103. Yeah. 103. Whatever the... 103. Wait, not the Canadian one. You know, a funny story about... I'm, yes, hoping, the Canadian one. 
hopefully, well, the Canadians one had the Canadian ones had more gain. Yeah, because they have an extra input that jumps the channels internally, um, and they cost two bears, a duck, and a beaver, <laughs> and a pig skin. I think it, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd go the hundred watt just because I like I like the sturdy the sturdy amp. You know, I liked a lot of headroom, which is ultimately why I ended up getting rid of my orange rocker because it didn't really have any headroom necessarily and orange has been very very good to me um the cabinets are obviously still amazing i just wish i had gotten one of those or 100 handmade ones instead of the the, uh, the rocker verb yeah <laughs> and that talks some shit the plethora of of ors have come through in and out of my hands and i was i used to play a 120 um Bilbo, so Chris Pierce from Doc Hopper, he had an amazing original OR80. Mm-hmm. Mine was an 80 that someone modified to be a 120. 120. And it, it screamed, and I can't believe he got rid of it. And I happened to be in good old Massachusetts. My wife and I were in Salem, and Nate... Newton, no relationship to you or no, no. I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the Josh Newton of Nate Newton, but I think technically we might actually be related because I have a lot of family in Virginia. Oh, no shit. Which we, I've never actually discussed that with him, but uh, yeah, I think oh, we actually might be related in some way. So he could be related to two Josh Newtons. Which is super weird. Yeah. The <laughs> first time I hit him up on Facebook, he's like, what, what, who, what, who are you? <laughs> right. Dude, this isn't my brother. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. So he hits me up. He's like, yo, you're in our hood. We're, we're practicing over at, over at Kurt's. So my wife and I headed over there after we had brunch and, and we go in and, and Kurt turns me around and he's like, recognize that OR80? He's like, got that from your friend, Chris Pierce. I was like, wow. Oh, at least we know somebody that still has it. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah, you know the only orange I had that um, that anniversary or fifty that they did, and stupidly I sold that too. Yeah, um, I wish. But I, I still have my two twelve. I oh, still no. have my two twelve, and and that just screams. And you can put anything through it, and it sounds great. Mm-hmm. Of of all the things I've owned, and it's been a lot, and I still own a lot, and a lot of random stuff, and a lot of oddities. I want to. I want to see your like orange. Really? Not a single. Orange item, cabinet or head. Do you have a spreadsheet of the shit that you own? No, but I've tried a couple times. <laughs> I tried to make one of the shit that I don't have anymore, but I know I'm forgetting like a hundred things. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna text you a picture. Once I laid out everything I owned, and it was about eight years ago. And, and some stuff has gone in and out, like the PRS that's in there, I don't have anymore. And the, actually, your head is still in there. But uh, I'll, I'll text you a picture of it because it was the only time I ever, like, I was bored on a Saturday. I'm like, fuck it. I'm taking everything out. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, it, it's been amazing having you on. Uh, we are definitely going to do this again because we could do this for I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface. We didn't get into sure. any of my my Dean baby V's or anything. <laughs> oh, let's let's do it. Let's do it again and get into more for sure. I'd love we to. Will. We definitely will. So I uh, want to thank you for joining us. You're awesome, and uh, thank you for having me. Finally, got to do this. So uh, 
Hey, everybody. We'll see you next week.